Yep, I'm here hosting an episode of Not Your Ordinary Coach with Chet Hirani. In today's episode, we have Simone Venner, who is a registered holistic nutritionist who helps people take back control of their health in an easy, digestible way. And today we'll be speaking about gut health and shit we all need to know. So welcome, Simone, for being part of the show. Thank you. Thank you, Chet, for having me. And yeah, I love your little no pun intended at the end of my intro. Thanks. <laughs> that's so brilliant. that's what I do. Exactly. I, I a lot about poo. So that might come up, but <laughs> there we go. <laughs> oh, excellent. Right. So before we kick off, Simone, why don't you tell us about yourself and give our listeners some background to who you are? Yeah. So as you mentioned, my name is Simone Venner. I'm a registered holistic nutritionist. And for some people, they're like, what the hell does that mean? And basically, it just means I look at you or the individual as a whole. So we are, we are a whole being, but in many cases, we break things down, right? We have a cardiologist and we have a gastroenterologist, which obviously are needed. But I think many areas that are missing is when you bring that together. So I really tried to work with clients looking at them as a whole and working alongside them and their healthcare professionals to kind of bring them back, their bodies back to this kind of equilibrium um, to their top health. So yeah, working with clients from type two diabetes to anxiety and um, working one-to-one with clients, running more courses online and um, yeah, just trying to get health out there in a digestible way and also a way that's not complex or overly sciencey so people get confused so just always trying to break things down so people are like oh okay I now know why I should drink more water right as opposed to everyone's just like exercise yeah. more and eat more fruits and veg but when you tell them you know that 60% of the human body is made out of water and every bodily function that you do or the body does needs water to, to make that happen. And people are like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, maybe maybe yeah. I can drink a little bit it's more. Like, I get it now, isn't it? So I understand now the yeah. value of water sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, it's really good. I mean, it's, there is so much out there, isn't it, about sort of um, people's health. Um, and it is a big, it's a big topic, um, but... Sometimes, and it, you you touched on it basically as well by saying keeping it simple for people because there is information overload. You can mm. sort of you can sort of Google on sort of health, and then you'll get like tons of information, and you don't know what the right information is, and you only just pick out something which resonates to you at that point in time. Whereas keeping it simple and making people understand to say, right now I understand why I need to eat this certain food, why mm. I need to drink this amount of water, why I need to even work out or do some sort of form of exercise. It then relates to them and they think, ah, oh, right, okay, now I get it. I don't need to read all these sort of articles. These articles are great, but sometimes as human beings, we actually do need things to be sort of broken down a little bit more and made more simple. Yeah, completely. And I think, you know, it's tough. You, you go to see your GP and there's a short period of time and they don't, you know, they don't have the time to to do that. If yeah. we are fortunate enough to have a private doctor, then, you know, good for you. Keep having those conversations with your private doctor. But I think one thing that I am finding in the healthcare profession um, I'm going back in, so I'm working towards being a dietitian too, so I can work more directly with doctors. 
but allowing them to you know be like that's not my field go and see a dietitian that's not her field go and see a gastroenterologist and kind of working together so you do get those answers but yeah very true you know I I speak to many people that you know they ask me for book recommendations and I give them a few and they're like oh I've already got those books and I was like but it's all you know it's like self-help it's all good (laughs) and well having you know this whole shelf full of books but if you're not putting the work in, you know, you only really need one book, but you need to put that into, into practice. And, you know, I say to clients, you know, I, I speak to new clients and they're like, you know, I don't exercise, but next week I'm going to go on seven runs. And I'm like, that's just not realistic. You know, <laughs> take yourself out for a walk three days a week and then report back. And it's like the small, the small wins, you know, like even in business, we try to celebrate the small wins that leads yeah. us. To the next and it's the same with health it's the same with relationships it's the same with everything so I think it's always kind of taking bite-sized chunks and rewarding yourself with that and unfortunately when I say reward with food people usually <laughs> reward themselves with donuts or something that's not exactly yeah. where I'm going although yeah. one I was thinking about a chocolate about. as well actually <laughs> <laughs> but this, this is it this is it but definitely feeling like you know you know what I usually drink two glasses of water and today I finished a litre and a half. Like, that's a good yeah, thing. That's a that's good, a good thing. Yeah. You know, have a bubble bath, do whatever, you, watch a movie, whatever you want to do. But um, I think it's good to celebrate the small wins. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's interesting when you said, like, um, the, the association of when people um, refer to what a, an award is, a reward is. Yeah, mm-hmm. And it's not something like maybe um, have a bath, like you said, for example, or just give yourself a bit of yourself me time or relax, or Mm -hmm. it's always associated with, let's reward myself with something bad to eat, (laughs) or or I'll have the extra glass of wine, (laughs) or something from that, right? Um, And again, Mm -hmm. it's good, it's sending that message out there that the reward doesn't just revolve, can't even get the word out, revolve around food or drink or anything it can be a reward for yourself that you've not actually done for yourself for some time yeah completely and I think you know in the west we do have have an issue with that Mm -hmm. and then I think with that reward therapy as I call it we then end up kind of in this place of shame and guilt and that's another place that we never really want to be with food so I'm always you know if you want to have a donut have a donut but ask yourself why you want it in the first place right yeah. is it because oh I haven't had a donut for a while oh I really fancy a donut or is it oh you know I'm so miserable and I don't know what to do I just want to have something that I enjoy so that's more of the emotional eating and then you also have the oh I've I've been so good at work this week I'm going to have a donut so that's a reward therapy so I think it's always good to kind of ask yourself why you want it if it's a sugar cravings thing then I think many of us are like oh no I'm craving sugar that's really bad where you know carbs fuel the body like we glucose is what fuels every muscle in the body it's especially important for our brains mm-hmm. saying that there are different types of glucose yeah. definitely we can talk about more of that later but um i think it's important to to kind of not fall down that rabbit hole of guilt and shame and finding other things that you enjoy doing like if this you know if you've got kids and you just want to take a break can you hand that over to your partner and be like I'm just going to take half an hour to go out for a coffee obviously when we can do that go out for a coffee and just read a book like little things like that there's like 45 minutes that you can kind of be like oh yeah this is this feels good so I think that's really important 
That's brilliant. I mean, yeah, so so important. So uh, moving on from that one, then we're obviously talking about sort of food, and I'm just so so intrigued about what you've got to say about sort of gut health, right, and everything. I mean, that's that's your bag, right? That's what you're going to talk about. And yeah. um, I, you know what? Everyone talks about shit. Okay, that that's what it is. Everyone does talk shit, and everyone talks about shit. That's how I say <laughs> it sometimes too. Okay, but um, what is gut health, and why 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 do you th- why do you why do you personally think it's so important? So I think actually when you said about talking about shit, I think that is the difference between males and females. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to push that with women because we definitely don't talk about it enough. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there's still that kind of cliche of like women even don't. They don't fart. They don't poop. And you're like... Like yeah, one poopy sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, so I do. I keep posting talks on poop, which is great. But um, gut health as a whole, I mean, two things. If your listeners can take anything away today, two things from, uh, yeah, an important part of our gut health is up to 70% of your immune system is located in your gut, up to 70%. Wow. And up to 95% of the body's serotonin is produced there so that's our happy hormone yeah. and I think when we look at that you know it's important to know that when the body is sick you know we're compromising the immune system mm-hmm. can we support the gut can we support the 70 percent that is found there so that's always what I come back to if we're dealing with up and down moods if we've been diagnosed anxiety mental health issues regardless of you know what medication you are on yeah can we do something to support the gut and make that as healthy as we can? And the answer is yes. We have many studies that are highlighting what are the most important foods for the gut. We have bacteria, up to 39 trillion different bacteria. You are, in fact, more bacteria than you are human. Uh, without bacteria, we simply wouldn't survive. Mm-hmm. And I think with this pandemic that we're in, I'm a little bit concerned when we get out the other end, does that mean we're going to keep fearing bacteria? And we know that, you know, kids should be outside and digging in the mud and playing around and poking things and putting things in their mouths. And that actually helps down the line kind of build up this diversity this colony that we have within us that's going to be supporting all the time that 70 percent of our immune system and that 95 percent of the body serotonin wow so i mean yeah i mean that it's 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 interesting those stats and what you sort of um explained there and how it does i mean it it literally you take it for granted that 70 percent right when you feel ill um do are you going to support your gut People don't mm-hmm. think and associate it. Like if they're ill, it's right, I'm going to take a rest or I'm going to start comfort eating and doing something else. And you could be actually doing something a lot worse. And then sort of, um, well, when I say worse, it could be sort of prolonging your recovery period as mm, well because definitely. you're not. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, tell me, I mean, how does that sort of affect your whole body then? I mean, we'll talk about the brain in a little while when you said um, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that. But how does it affect the whole body? Yeah, well, we're seeing there are more direct links between the microbiome. So the bacteria living in your gut is is often referred to as the microbiome or the microbiota. Mm -hmm. And we are seeing direct links to heart disease, which is the world's biggest killer, type 2 diabetes, um, obesity, even things like Alzheimer's and motor neuron disease. So the type 2 diabetes is actually quite interesting. Um, Actually, the obesity, there was a study done. 
I think you're going on mute. There you are, you're so back. Yeah, yeah. Right. So what I'm going to do is just put my phone on don't disturb. I think that would be better. That's fine. There we go, great. Cool. So this study done on rats where they basically transferred poop from one rat to another through fecal pellets, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, however delicious that is. Um, <laughs> but what they noticed was these kind of slim mice started to, I suppose, form the same microbiome because they were seeing the same results. A few weeks down the line, they were seeing that these slim mice were putting on weight at the same rate as the obese mice. So these microbes have an ability to support our weight loss and our weight gain. Like this is huge. When we think of weight loss, which is still probably one of the biggest issues that we talk yeah. about in health, mm -hmm. if not the only one we really speak about in health is weight loss or weight gain. It's on everyone's gain. mind, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, completely. Like the most common reason that people change their diet is to lose weight, sadly, yeah. um, not to boost their morale or their energy levels. But, you know, we are seeing those changes from the microbiome like that is is pretty huge. And like I said, you know, mentioning Alzheimer's and motor neuron disease, lots of things can be directed to the gut. There's still mm -hmm. early studies, but there's enough there to see that link. Wow, that's brilliant. I mean, so just seeing seeing that sort of um, the link there. What sort of the next steps? What are the what? Uh, what obviously, those studies are going to continue. Um, what's what's the solution? What are they thinking that they're going to be doing from it? Well, <clears throat> so I mean, for me, it's kind of taking your health into your own hands. If we've found that seventy percent of our immune system is found in our gut, then we know that breakfast, lunch, and dinner has something to do with that. Yeah, and, you know, point. a lot of the studies that we're looking at, especially lifestyle diseases, you know, I think it's less than like 10% of your genetics is connected to type 2 diabetes. Like that is huge. I'm, you know, my family's from the Caribbean. We have huge issues of type 2 diabetes mm -hmm. in the Caribbean. I think Barbados has some of the highest rates of amputees throughout the whole of the Caribbean from type wow. 2 diabetes. Yeah. And we are learning that we have the ability to not only prevent in many cases, but reverse through what we put into our bodies. So it is a lot to do with choice, but also education and privilege, whether we have, you know, if whether we have our kind of rights to education or whatever else is going on around us. So all of those different areas have an impact on our overall health. However, when we look at the West, and we're looking at the West as more of a wealthy, obviously we're looking at the West, um, we have the highest rates of lifestyle diseases. So that's something too to kind of think about when we can make those changes um, from choosing what we put into our body. So it's interesting when you said about education, <clears throat> because fundamentally, from my perspective, it is about education because people always assume um, especially on the diabetes front as well, because obviously I come from an Asian background and you get quite a lot of um, diabetes cases in that yeah. as well. Um, and every time I've spoken to anybody, the first thing that they've said to me is that, oh, it's my age. Yeah. And when I say, and I've gone back to them and said, it's actually not your age. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. It has elements of it. And then they, all, they automatically think that the older they get, they will get diabetes. That's what yeah. it is straight away. And I'm like going, well, if that's what you think, hell no, am I getting that? 
right? Okay, because yeah. I don't want to live like that, right? End of story. And that's because I've been educated in terms of what it what what it involves to avoid it. Okay, and mm. if my family and I've got it, or they'll say it's it's in your um, it's in our DNA or it's mm. in our blood, in that sense. Yeah, we might have elements of it that we could it can be triggered, but you can still control it with the right education as well, right? Yeah, definitely, and. Um... You know, we see a lot of that. And I think also it is education, but culture comes into it big. You know, big, big, big. You're from an Asian background, yeah. like Caribbean background. Our whole culture is like food, right? Like It's food. just a cuisine is what you put in it. Food <laughs> Always food. Yeah. In a mark. You know, like every time I go back to the Caribbean, I'm plant-based now. Yeah. And it's, you know, oh, you, you're still going through that phase. You're still doing that thing. And I'm like, I'm still here. You know, <laughs> still rocking the same. <laughs> the same kind of ethos behind how I'm eating but you know I'll, I'll see my aunt you know has high cholesterol so it's similar yeah. to type 2 yeah. diabetes exactly. high cholesterol well, it's, it's an age thing and mm -hmm. to a certain extent it kind of is mm -hmm. if you eat a certain way for 50 years yeah of course by the right. time you're in your 50s it's going to hit you um sadly we are seeing fatty streaks in kids mm -hmm. as young as 10 yeah um but that's that build up you know, and then when they're in the 50s, if they keep continuing, they've, you know, they're at a high risk of having high cholesterol levels. But, you know, my aunt made a couple of changes. She didn't change too much. And she was like, oh, my, my cholesterol has come down. There you go. Ta-da! <laughs> great. How, how was that? You know, the, doc the doctor didn't believe, you know, you know, I just said I'd change this one thing or whatever. He didn't believe. He didn't do this. And I thought, it doesn't matter. You know, if you're working alongside with your healthcare professional, your cholesterol levels are down. That's the main thing. Um, but, yeah, definitely around culture. And, you know, I, I talk a lot about oil and yeah. um, our kind of – addiction to oil uh, mm -hmm. shall i say every mm -hmm. meal um is lightly fried you know whether it starts with fried onions or then fried garlic and then fried spices and i'll try up. and get yeah it adds up over a period of time i mean i i teach workshops where i get them to you know roughly maybe two if you're cooking lunch and dinner that's two portions of oil a day yeah. so mm -hmm. two times seven is 14 14 times four was that like 56 or something? My maths isn't that great. Something like that. Something yeah, around there. As well, yeah. 50, so was like <laughs> 56 portions a month of oil alone. And you're looking at 120 calories per teaspoon. And we all know that no one is cooking with a teaspoon of oil. <laughs> yeah. So say double that. That's 240 times 2, 240 times 2, 480 calories per day. Yeah. Just with how you're cooking your food. Like that's huge. So I sometimes get clients to lose weight and they don't even change their diet. They just stop cooking with the oil. So there's different ways that you can look at it. But I know with culture and with my family, the same thing. Oh, I can't not eat with this. I can't not cook with that. I can't not. And you have to kind of sum up what you want, right? Yeah. Get into the deeper, the deeper question. If you have the ability to make those changes, what do you want? And you know, I've, even smokers want mm. to be healthy. We yeah. all want to be healthy. Yeah. We know how to. We may need someone to hold our hand and um, guide us through. But, um, yeah, we all want to be healthy. It's just making making those steps and um, being open to it, I think. Yeah, we've got so much sort of data now as well, right? That's why we're able to sort of um, bring out all of this sort of information and all these statistics as well, which then makes mm -hmm. a huge, huge difference compared to what it was back then. It's like, 
well, because there was no data, we're just going to carry on. This is our lifestyle. But now there is. That's basically what, what's happening now. But that's good. Yeah. I mean, stick, sticking on that sort of bit about sort of education. Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm quite intrigued because I, I kind of know it, but it'd be great to hear your intake on it as well, because I know quite a few people talk about it as well. It's like, what's the difference between pre and probiotics and what's the ad- advantages, disadvantages of all those sort of th- th- that those elements? <clears throat> yeah, well, it's really funny, actually, from someone working in gut health, people are shocked that I think I maybe post once a week against probiotics. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I still have probiotic companies that email me to ask me to promote their brand. I refuse to promote probiotics and yeah. I'll go into that a little bit more. Yeah. Um, so the difference mainly, we have probiotics, which people may be more familiar with in yogurt, mm-hmm. uh, fermented foods, maybe things like sauerkraut, if you venture out that far uh, to <laughs> fermented foods, um, kimchi, lots mm-hmm. of different cultures have been doing this you know, for millennia, because when you didn't have a fridge, you fermented foods. But now, you know, we charge a ridiculous amount. I think it's all like eight pounds of sauerkraut, which is cabbage and salt. It's like the two cheapest ingredients that we have. But, (laughs) you know, everyone needs to make money, I suppose. Um, And those bacterias are live bacterias that we eat. And we almost hope that they reside to the right place, which is in your large intestine Mm -hmm. and I say we hope because you know your stomach is this acid pit basically yeah so we need those bacteria to survive and I think this is half of my debate with with probiotics because on the packet you know it's like take take the supplements and then you increase that diversity bearing in mind we already have 39 trillion so Mm -hmm. we're kind of already good yeah um but yeah, we're hoping that they get to the right place because if they get absorbed in that acid, then it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a waste. It's going to be an expensive kind of hobby. So that's what the probiotics are. And I always try to think of the probiotics as like a puppy. So we go we go to the animal shelter. We bring home a puppy mm-hmm. and, you know, this puppy's cute and we love this puppy. But then we realise we don't have any puppy food. So, like, how long is this puppy going to last, right? It's a sad story. The puppy's not Mm going to survive. And this is what I see day in and day out. We're buying £50 a month, some of them, probiotics. We're taking them month after month after month. And then when I ask the question, how are you feeding these probiotics? People look at me as if I'm crazy. What do you mean, how am I feeding them? But you're taking an internal pet pretty much Mm -hmm. day after day, but you're not feeding them. So they become a waste. They become a waste because they're not going to survive. So that's kind of prebiotics, probiotics, pro, 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 pro. prebiotics is the pet food. Prebiotics is the food for the puppy. So they work together perfectly. You're going to keep them alive. You're going to keep them. You're going to feed them and keep them nourished. And that's what we want. That being said, does that mean that we need to take probiotics week after week, month after month? No, not really. If we take one dose and we learn how to feed them, then that's kind of, you know, two birds, one stone. Um, So, yeah, I think that is the main difference between them. And also prebiotics, the difference. Prebiotics is a $4 billion industry. Prebiotics. Probiotics, $77 billion. That's the difference. So would <laughs> I say it's a money-making scheme? 
maybe maybe there's a time and a place but I feel many people are self-diagnosing these pills as if they you know will solve everything and the majority of people that come to me the ones that have been on probiotics the longest are the ones that need the most help so um definitely not against them though fermented food a great place to start great Mm -hmm. place to start if you're taking them you know just make thanks for tuning in and don't forget leave a comment or email me at get in touch at notyourordinarycoach.com that's get in touch at notyourordinarycoach.com and most importantly download and subscribe to the show see you all on the next episode of not your ordinary coach with chet hirani and one other thing before i forget is one thing to remember version one is better than version none